the year is 1990 and the country Yugoslavia is going to host the Eurovision Song Contest for the first and, as it would turn out, only time. The Berlin Wall has just fallen and the European Union is forming, which will clearly be celebrated in many songs this year, like Keine Mauern mehr, Brandenburger Tor, and of course this year's winning song with the slogan Unite Tonight Europe. In retrospect, we know that this celebration will soon be overshadowed by the cruelty that is about to begin to happen in the region of Yugoslavia. What was it like to represent this country on home soil? How was Tite treated by her delegation? And what does she remember from the country that she two years later left for the American dream? This is Eurovision Legends and I am Emil Lövström. Eurovision legend, legendary Taichi. Oh, thank you. I am so excited to be on your podcast. Well, I think it's so funny that you mentioned before we put on the recording that you had listened to some episodes. Can you please say which episodes have you listened to? Oh, now you caught me. Um, I listened to <laughs> several. Uh, you did? I'll tell you. Yes, um, I'll tell you in just a minute. Um, and I, you know, because I, uh, I try to follow as much as I can. Of course, now everybody in America is asking me if I watch the movie with Will Ferrell. <laughs> <laughs> and I laugh just like you did. I tell them it's really, it's really far-fetched. I listened to one with Esther Hart and I listened to the one with Lindsay Dracas. Oh, yeah. For many years, you know, I was so away from the Eurovision that I have a lot to catch up on. So I'm just excited about your podcast because it gives me uh, a, a way to reconnect and to get all this information. So thank yeah. you. <laughs> well, thank you. Tell me, how did you end up in the pre-selection in Yugoslavia 30 years ago? Well, that's a, a really interesting story because I was actually not uh, supposed to be winning that pre-selection. I was uh, what they call the filler, uh, yeah. somebody that they put in um, to be a least competition to the favorites that they that you know the television studios and the record company was hoping to to represent Yugoslavia because the stakes were high. We had just won the previous year with Riva. Everybody had high hopes and, and Yugoslavia as the whole um, really wanted to prove that we, we can deliver, that we have many more talented uh, performers. So I was up some pretty big stars that I also personally admired. And so I didn't have any pressure going into it. Um, that night uh, of the U Yugoslavian selection, uh, pre-selection, I was just there to promote my new album, my first album, and I just wanted to do my job, what I had been doing since I was four years old, you know, sing out my heart and connect with my audience and make people happy, and that's it. 
And something in my youth, something in the orange dress, something in the catchiness of the song, something in the way we all connected. And I think a part of it was my youthful optimism and hope that resonated with the large audience. And and I was a surprise. I was not supposed to win. <laughs> <laughs> and you won a landslide in the national final. I did. I did. You nearly got more points than the second and the third placed songs earned together. Together, yes. Yes. There was a champagne that was going that was held for the for the supposed uh, winner and as my points were coming up and I was getting into the lead at first you know it was just my band and my my personal manager and me sitting alone and then as the points were coming in one by one the <laughs> record company representatives joined us and you know all of a sudden the champagne came along as well um yeah it was quite a surprise And the second one was Boris Novkovich, who actually was one of the composers for your album. Yes, he was one of the favorites. backstage you know game between um, his manager and the manager of another star that was supposed to win so you know like yes there's always that drama going on <laughs> and from my point of view it was really um, interesting you know and and I'm actually uh, working on my book um, my memoir that I'm, I'm describing all of this and and, and sharing how uh, unfortunately in our business we get to experience a lot of people not believing in us and telling us, oh, you'll never make it. You know, my own record company said, oh, we we printed 3,000 records. We don't know what we're going to do with them. Nobody's going to buy this stuff. And yeah. then as soon as I won, they were the first ones. And, you know, my producer, who also didn't have really high hopes, um, stood up and said, oh, we discovered the new megastar. You know, so you you see the backside of the industry that is often not so honest and beautiful as it looks from the outside. Your song then, Haide da Luduyemo, was composed by, and please help me here if I say this uh, wrong, the pronunciation, Srinko Tutic. Yes, and, perfect. And with lyrics written by Alka Vuica. Yes, perfect. How did, tell me, was this the only song that they presented to you for this project? Or did you have several to choose from? No, like I said, you know, this was one of the songs on my album. And originally it was called uh, Strawberry Pickers. Because oh. it had, instead of Let's Go Crazy, it had a line that said Let's Go Strawberry Picking. Um, and so in Croatian it sounds better, but... Um, It wasn't, you know, it was just a fun song on my album. I had better songs that I thought were better. Um, but this was a fun song and it was really well produced by one of Croatia's, Croatia's really um, talented and, and, and great arrangers and producers, Nick Shabratos, um, who, who did that 
popular, you know, catchy guitar riff in the beginning. So when, again, you know, I was a filler, so it wasn't, there wasn't like a lot of thought put into it. It was just like, okay, let's pick the catchiest, easiest song <laughs> on the album, and you're going to do that at Eurovision. That's how it happened. And we all fell in love with it. Yes, it is a really good song. And, you know, it, it talks about the, the, the chorus is silly and, and easy and catchy. Let's go crazy tonight. Uh, your lips are like chocolate. And I like that. But the, the, the verses have a little bit of more depth, you know, where there's that, you know, you don't have to be beautiful or wealthy to, to win my heart. You don't have to be strong and macho, you know, to be my world. So it's so there is that gentleness and something relatable that everybody can can feel themselves in the song. Eurovision in 1990 was held in your hometown, Zagreb, since the group Riva won the competition, as you said before, with the song Rock Me. Rock Me Baby, yes. And the big TV personalities, Oliver Melakar and Helga Vlahovic were the mm -hmm. hosts. And you were only 19 years old when all this yes. happened. Yes. How, how did people treat you? Well, you know, I... Um... So I had been performing since I was four. So I felt like even though I'm only 19, I've all, I already had 15 years of, in, uh, of experience in the industry. And that stage where Eurovisions was held in Zagreb, my hometown, was the stage where I performed as a four-year-old girl. So to me, it was truly like home arena, you know, home game. And I, I mean, look, everybody was so concerned about the production, the organization, you know, the, the MCs, um, everything had to go perfectly right. And then as we know, <laughs> there were some glitches. <laughs> <laughs> under so much pressure that I was their least of their worries, you know, because I was a little professional. I knew how to do the job and they knew that I was going to do it well. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, there's another, the other part of the story where my own management team, you know, had already become a little bit more controlling than I would have loved to. And, um, you know, I, I personally, I, I felt I could have been treated better. Um, but you know, it was, again, I was just very young. I was 19 years old and didn't really know how to protect myself. And I, and I trusted them to protect me from whatever they're telling me they needed to protect me from. <laughs> We must talk about your iconic dress and the Marilyn Monroe lookalike style. 
who came up with this? Right. So for the U- U- Yugoslavian uh, pre-selection, I wore a beautiful orange dress. Yeah. And that and the whole Marilyn Monroe style happened again by accident. I was I was young and I had this blonde, really, really curly natural hair. And the stylist uh, at the dress rehearsal said, well, let's see if we can just, you know, straighten out your hair a little bit more and just play a little bit. Because, again, I was we really didn't have a plan. You know, I wasn't a project by then. I was um, I'd worked with my with a stylist and, and, a, and a designer who was a friend of my mom's. And, you know, it was only a family. <laughs> Uh, because I had already learned, um, you know, I, I looked up to Madonna and Whitney Houston and Tina Turner, and they all had very specific brands and looks, especially Madonna at that time. And so I kind of wanted to do the same thing, like think about the style and and the song and all that. And then the, the, the hairstylist and the makeup artist, she said, oh, let's do a little 50s look. And she did it all. And then she all of a sudden she gasped and turned me over in a chair and showed me to the dressing room. Everybody in the dressing room said, look, she looks like Marilyn Monroe. So that kind of just, you know, happened. Yeah. And then for the Eurovision, of course, by then, you know, my producing team, they played on that because it turned to be such a great uh, winner. Everybody loved it. Um, it was very commercial. <laughs> it was it was it was wonderful. Everybody loved. You know, I was able. To, uh, I've been I've been also in theater for most of my life as well. So you know, I knew how to uh, assume this persona. So I all of a sudden you know adapted her smile and her pose and the little you know hip this way and and hands arms this way. Um, so I played the part. Yeah. And we developed that more for the Eurovision. And I love the glamour. You know, I loved walking down on the red carpet with a nice shawl and all dolled up. And it was really fun. It was it was magic. How many questions did you got about Marilyn Monroe in Zagreb? Too many. <laughs> <laughs> I can Too believe. Too many, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that by the end, I was done. I was like, okay, can I be Tai Chi now? <laughs> <laughs> do you still uh, have the dress? I the do. Yes. Yeah, so the Eurovision Song Contest dress is pink. And I actually did not like that dress. That dress first was plain without the rhinestones. And then my hairstylist, the night before she went, she got those rhinestones and sewed them up. And then the The actual stylist got mad because, oh my goodness, it was a whole drama, and I just wanted my orange back, orange dress back. <laughs> But it, it it turned out fine. Plus, that that pink dress was um, it was riding up too much, and it was a fabric that like showed even if I had a little bit of perspiration, you know, it would show. So it was stressing me out. But in the end, you know, like when you step on stage, you kind of forget all of that, and it worked out well. But I do yeah. have both dresses, yes. You were one of the front runners to win Eurovision 1990. How big was the pressure on you? Would you say? Well, it was big, um, and I, you know, I, I since I'm writing the book, I'm just you know rereading my journals, and I write. Um, I just want to. I wanted to. Uh, how do you say this? Um, I, I was receiving so much adulation from the fans, and the fans were saying, "You're gonna win. You are." You know, we know you're the you're amazing, and so the pressure 
I wanted to defend their the trust that they had in me. Yeah. I wanted to do my best. But I also knew, and, and this was, you know, we talked about it openly, that Yugoslavia was not in any position to host another Eurovision Song Contest, like if in case that we would have won. So it, there was this understanding that we just cannot win. Even if, you know, miracle happened, we could not win. So that we would get less votes. I don't know. I, I don't want to speculate that. Um, but there was an understanding that I certainly wouldn't win. And also, I have to be honest with you, I loved so many other songs. <laughs> <laughs> and like you said in your int- introduction, I was so on that wagon of United Europe, of of getting everything connected, of Berlin Wall falling, of the better future in which we're all going to be together. I was such an optimist, an idealist, that I wanted those songs to win. Yeah. You know, I, I and then when Toto Cotunio won, I, yes, that was it. I get goosebumps just now talking about it. Did you have any more favorite among your competitors? Yes, I liked uh, the song from England. Um, I remember she was also a young girl. Yes. And then I also, there was a couple from Finland that I favored, but that was more because we actually, they were probably the only people that I talked to and and had time to maybe visit in person a little bit. I love the French girl. So yeah, there was a lot of different ones. Those are that I can remember from the top of my head. It was a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) You ended up seventh but are one of the most iconic and remembered artists from the Eurovision history. How often do you talk about Eurovision today? Oh, all the time. People ask <laughs> me all the time and they want to know and I'm happy to, to, to talk about it, especially because that marked, that was the top of my pop career, which, which gave me an insight into the world that eventually I left. Um, you know, there was so much that, like, like I said, I was an idealist and, and music to me was always sacred in a way that it brings people together. It offers us comfort. It makes us, it helps us to go through hard times. It helps us to feel good and dance when we're happy. And so when I, you know, when I experienced the, the really ugly side of the business, I had to remove myself from it because I was too young when I experienced tremendous fame. And so I didn't know how to protect myself and how to grow as a person so I would be able to continue what is valuable and important to me in that context. And that's why I eventually left for America. And, you know, I've, I've never stopped singing. I've been producing new albums and um, I just produced 30 year anniversary 
music video from Quarantine yep. with uh, a whole bunch of different stars from um, Yugoslavia, that former Yugoslavia countries. I, I like to talk about it because, because I also love Euro Eurovision. I think it's a, still a beautiful way for people to come together. Uh, in 1992, two years later, you left what remained of the country for the U.S. Can you take us back to the ruins of Yugoslavia? Yeah. Uh, you know, I left after the last uh, air raid in my hometown, Zagreb. I was heartbroken. I just, you know, for me it was, uh, I, there was so much confusion in my head. I had fans in all of the sides of Yugoslavia, you know, all the republics, Serbian and Bosnian and Croatian, Slovenian, Montenegro, all of it. And to me, it was unthinkable that now we were set against each other. And yeah. I, I really, you know, I was, there's, there's, there's two things that happened to me. And, and I don't know if this is just natural, but, you know, on one hand, I, I knew we were manipulated into it um, by by the, the by those in power who didn't want to give up power. And on the other hand, you know, there is this like you know um, desire to belong. Just like when I represented Yugoslavia at Eurovision, I was so honored to represent all of us, you know. And then two years later. I, I, I still from that, you know, it's very confusing because now you have a desire to belong to a smaller part um, just from, uh, from a sense of, I guess, fear. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very, very, very hard. And so I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to help. And I wanted to help humanity. I wanted to, I always wanted to just move human hearts. To me, I never saw a difference between people of different religion or race or nationality. Um, and so when I just didn't know what to do anymore, and also like, you know, I was, I had a personal crisis that was not connected to the war. Um, I left, I left because that was my way to remove myself, not from the war, but from my fame. So I can grow into who I always was and then, you know, go back to Tai Chi kind of leave Marilyn Monroe and the doll. Yeah, that's another thing. I have a doll that was made in my likeness, which also was kind of a sobering to me that I, I realized I was becoming a doll in someone else's hands, whether it was my producers or the industry or the the brand that we created and I, or the role that I played. Um, and I didn't want that. I didn't want that. I wanted to be, I want to be me. Yeah. I read on your homepage and I quote here, my road has been filled up with ups and downs, with times of personal confusion, identity crisis, lonel loneliness and abuse. Yeah, it's it's true. And uh, before I became famous, um, I had, uh, yeah, I, I experienced both sexual abuse and um, lots of verbal and emotional abuse. And we didn't talk about it then. Um, nobody talked about that. And so um, I kind of just pushed it somewhere inside and channeled all the 
that healing that I needed or all the sanity that I had left or uh, strength or spite or energy, whatever it is, into music. And, you know, some could argue that maybe that was my force behind it. Yeah. <laughs> um, survival uh, tool, you know, to, uh, to, to kind of just like um, overcome it all and, and come out a winner where otherwise maybe I would not have. But, uh, you know, just like with every wounds that are not treated in the correct way, um, they, they caught up with me. And that's part of the reason why when I left and I came to New York, started what I call my journey of healing. And a part of it was spiritual, but then it also took a lot of therapy and a lot of um, just really healing, um, really deep work, inner work to treat those wounds, you know, to get all the, you know, if you, if you cut yourself and you don't treat the wound and it get in, gets infected and you have to kind of like, you know, go back and cut it open and take all the pus out and, and then let it heal. So, yeah. And I am very passionate about talking about it because it took me way too long to do that. And because we didn't talk about it then, I want us who have lived it and come out healed on the other side to talk about it so that the new young people wouldn't have to wait that long. And, you yeah. know, and I have three sons who are um, teenagers and I'm just so proud of them and I'm so encouraged by them. They are a lot more vocal. They're a lot more um, woke, you know, awaken um, themselves, not easily manipulated. And, and of course we have internet, which kind of gives us all a lot, more chance to show up authentically and call out. Yeah, and probably also because they have a very open-minded mother that share her beliefs with them. Well, maybe. <laughs> maybe it's my open-mindedness. Maybe it's my demanding, you know, okay, you, how are you? Good is not an answer. <laughs> Elaborate, <laughs> please. <laughs> well, I'm very sorry to hear about all this, but I'm very thankful that you shared it with us. Thank you. You had at that time, when you left Yugoslavia, sold over one million albums and were one of the biggest stars on the Croatian sky. And let's listen to some of your big hits from that period.
have just heard the songs Kad Semrasi i Voli and Million Godina. Do you have any favorite songs of your own? Oh, yes. Uh, by the way, those are really nice songs. Uh, I also love Dvije Zvijezdice, which means two shooting stars. That was my favorite song on the album. Yeah, and I I still sing it. Lovely. How did your audience react when you moved away from the Balkan region? You know, it was, again, different time. We didn't have social media. I could not communicate with my fans. And um, again, my producer didn't like the fact that I left. So there was some confusion at, about why I left. And a lot of fans... Uh, were pretty devastated, pretty mad at me. Just a few years ago, I went back to Croatia to visit my family. And on one of those trips, um, a young man came to me and he said, I hate you. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What did I do to you? And he said, you devastated my life when I was six years old. You left and I was, I cried for a whole year. I was inconsolable. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I'm so sorry. I had no way to explain why I left. I had no way to tell them uh, that I love them. I had no way to tell them that my fans were everything, were the only thing oh. I had. Um, you know, so if there was social media, it would have been so much easier. But it was a different time. Did you ever get the question again to take part in Eurovision? Yes. Um, you know, nothing serious. I don't live in Croatia anymore, so it's a little bit harder. But I actually have to tell you, there's when I moved to Nashville, um, a very prominent songwriter who has done many uh, hit songs for people like Reba McIntyre, he approached me and he said, hey, can I write you a song for Eurovision? Okay. Did you <laughs> so <record>? we'll see. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> we don't like. Uh, we don't know which country we would, uh, you know, I would um, be able to represent. Well, San Marino always search for songs, so maybe you can ask them. Yes, <laughs> but I do have one song that, when I wrote it, I thought, well, this would make a good Eurovision song, and it's called "Keep Your Head Up." Keep your head up, tear the walls down. Don't let your life slip by with your eyes on the ground. We'll never let. Even when it hurts, I'll be there for you through the best and the worst. Keep your head up, tear the walls down. Don't let your life slip by with your eyes on the ground. We'll never let up. Even when it hurts, I'll be there for you through the best and the 
what are you doing in the U.S. today? So I just launched a new book, um, an album called Unbroken, and it's a really interesting project. So you know, I've been touring with my music since I since I came to America for the last 30 years. Uh, my last tour uh, was a beautiful concert that I did with my sister. Actually, we sang a lot of jazz standards and pop standards. And then the pandemic happened, so we had to stop. But this new uh, book and album that I'm releasing, it's about an album that I recorded uh, about 12 years ago uh, with songs that my father taught me. And it's a really interesting story about how um, sometimes we as artists do a whole project and we're so unhappy with it, like yeah. I was. And I didn't know what to do with this album for 10 years, 12, 11 years. I just hated it. And then something happened. I don't want to spoil it for those who will want to read the book. But something happened that uh, brought me uh, the, the album in a whole different way. So now it's the album and a book called Unbroken. I like to do multimedia projects like that are also story and, and music and then visual. Um, you know, it's photography or video or some sort of story. And the book is available on Amazon, right? Yes, yes. I also have to tell you, I'm also um, a life coach. Um, and I love to uh, mentor young artists, um, not just young, old as well. <laughs> doesn't matter. Um, I like to mentor creative people who are, um, you know, who are looking for new ways to express themselves, who are maybe struggling with how to really be authentic in their art especially now everything that's going on in the world we're all looking for new ways to bring music to our fans and um and and I love I love that part of my work to being able to uh, give back are you happy in life today yes i am very happy i just woke up the other day um i, I had a, a, a little surgery lately nothing serious it was just something that had to be done and i woke up in my bed and i looked out of my window and i had this beautiful tree outside my window and I heard the birds singing and and there was this peace, this deep peace that we often watch, see in the movies, you know, where everything is just perfect. We have a beautiful background music and, <laughs> and it's this like beautiful moment. And it was so simple. There was nothing happening. There's nothing big happening. I didn't win any big awards. I know I didn't sell another million records in the US. I'm not a big star. Um, here. Um, but I have three beautiful sons. I even lost my husband two and, two and a half years ago to cancer. And even that we were able to heal from and find beauty and happiness and peace and hope and joy and all these good things in the most ordinary mornings and evenings and any, any moments. So to me, that's the biggest success that one can have. And there's a sudden storm inside me Looking for a home I hope that someone's gonna find me And say that I belong I'll wait forever and a lifetime To find I'm not alone And there's a sudden storm inside me And someday I'll be Someday I'll be gone.
and I keep going back to that song. It's so hauntingly beautiful. I yeah. have to say it's it's my favorite. Uh, you told me before about your biography. When will it be released? Well, I don't like to put deadlines uh, <laughs> on creative <laughs> projects. <laughs> But know, I want to I'm... order it. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm, I'm I'm working really fast, but you know this has been. I've been working on it for several years, and uh, as well, memoir experts tell you, it's it's very dangerous to force something that is so personal and so, um, especially with a story like mine, where I don't want to just tell the shiny parts. I yeah. want to speak about, like you said, the ups ups and downs, and especially the downs. What what they taught me and how can my readers learn from it because i'll tell you i read in um I, i i had a really i suffered from depression and anxiety and panic attacks really badly for several years and somewhere around 2010 2011 i read the book by uh, belinda carlisle uh lips unsealed and yeah. it was there was one line in her book that shook me up and helped me to begin this deeper healing and so you know i believe as artists we we are the artists see the worlds in a more vulnerable way we're a little bit somehow more open to our emotions to our struggles to other people's struggles and and i believe that we have a way to then help you know, help put into the words what so many are not able to articulate. Yeah. So I'm hoping it will be within a year or so. Thank you so much for taking your time to talk to me. This was a delight. Oh, thank you, Emil. Thank you. And thanks to you, our listeners out there in the world. Don't forget to subscribe on your platform for podcasts so you're always up to date with new episodes and please join me on Eurovision Legends on Facebook and Instagram. Vala Puno! Oh, Vala Tebi. Are you sure you're not half Croatian? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> your pronunciations are wonderful. Thank you so much and thank you for your work, really. Wow!